Welcome to another episode of 30 Minutes with DailyStraits.com. I am your host, June Ramli, and today we are delving into the world of dental health with Dr. Ruben Sim and Dr. Mei Chan, University of Adelaide graduates and co-founders of Dental Boutique. Starting in Baldwin in 2013 with humble beginnings, Dental Boutique has since expanded impressively, now boasting multiple locations across Australia, including Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, Adelaide, Mornington Peninsula, Geelong, and soon Auckland in New Zealand. Known for their passion for cosmetic dentistry and creating a judgmental free space, both Dr. Ruben and Dr. May have grown their practice to a team of 90 clinicians attracting patients uh, nationally and internationally. So without further ado, let's welcome both doctors to the show. Hi, Dr. May and hello, Dr. Ruben. How are you today? Hi, Julie. Nice to meet you. Lovely to meet you. Awesome. Awesome. So, okay, we'll start with uh, Dr. May. So we're going to go on a general topic first. So um, you see dental, right, is very important, but people tend to take uh, not good, too good care of it because, you know, um, I don't know why, <laughs> but there are some, uh, what are your, some of your top tips for maintaining good oral and dental health, especially for those who have been using aligners uh, or, you know, um, or, you know, um, you know, those uh, braces from time to time. Yes. So, yeah, first of all, I think um, to maintain good oral health and dental health, well, why we people sometimes are a little bit afraid or um, in terms of, uh, you know, this topic, I guess, could, can be a topic where people are a little bit more embarrassed to talk about or fearful to talk about it's because teeth in general are um, something that, you know, is um, quite, um, you know, personal to us. And what's happening is that if you, if we, are not um, proud of how our, our teeth looks like or our smile look like. Sometimes it could be genetic, sometimes it could be environment. People tend to avoid it because people can feel like they could be judged about their teeth and their smile. So for that, how do we maintain a good oral health and dental health? Well, first of all, as all of us have been you know, um, shown to do, everyone knows we should try and brush um, at least twice a day. And if we can try and brush three times a day, that would be great. And this should be supplemented by flossing. So flossing should happen at least once a day, if not more. And um, the once a day should ideally be especially before bedtime. So often people think like brushing is most important during when you wake up in the morning. But this is actually, um, this is while this is correct, because there's a lot of bacteria bloat when you wake up in the morning, but actually more so at night. Because before we go to bed at night, when we brush and um, floss thoroughly, that removes all the bacteria and all the, um, all the plaque in our mouth. Because when we go to sleep, we have low salivary flow, which means that salivary flow um, acts as an alkaline um, environment for our mouth to wash away any of the acidic um, damages that the bacteria causes. So when we go to sleep, that protection is um, the salivary flow is low, which means there's less protection um, to our teeth from uh, from the the damages of the bacteria releasing acid into our mouth, and hence that's what causes decay. And um, therefore, for everyone um, you know wanting to maintain a good oral health, ideally we should brush and floss thoroughly before we go to sleep at night. Alrighty, sometimes I do forget to brush, but that's a good tip. Uh, okay, so we'll move on to another general question with Dr. Ruben. So how do cosmetic dental treatments differ from traditional dental procedures and what should customers know before deciding to go for these treatments? 
totally understand. So, well, thank you, thank you first of all, uh, Jim, for having us on the show again. Um, so, when when it comes to cosmetic treatment versus traditional treatment, traditional treatment to the definition of that is your your general scaling clean, your fillings, your your general preventive preventive items. When it comes to cosmetics, um, generally, if it's a pure cosmetic treatment, it's an elective treatment, which means that patients are coming in purely for an aesthetic outcome where even if you don't do anything, it's not going to cause you any health or functional issues. So I, I suppose that's going to be a difference. But a lot of times in dentistry, what we see is actually a combination of both, where the cosmetic and function go hand in hand. Because we see a lot of patients where, you know what, they've got broken teeth, they've got decay on the teeth, they've got gum disease, and that, although is a functional item, it can become a cosmetic issue for the patient as well. So a lot of times it's a combination of both. So what we normally look out for, if it's a purely cosmetic treatment, we always tell our patients that because it is an elective treatment, um, what happens is that even, even if you don't do anything to it, it's, it's not gonna, nothing's gonna go wrong, personally and health-wise. But if it affects you, from a social point of view, from a confidence point of view, then yes, we should do something about it. The term of the freedom of expression is really important because we've got patients that come in with crooked teeth and they are the most confident person we could ever meet. Like, don't do anything because you are confident in your own skin. Or we've got patients where they come in and they've got fairly straight teeth, but maybe some discoloration, some chipping, and they, are, they, they lose confidence so much that they don't smile, they don't talk they cover their mouth when they when they when they look at you now that's something that we want to help and th those are the patients that we've got passion in helping as well um so so i think that would encapsulate what what it means being traditional versus medic um that there would that there'll be the definition mm. of it now in terms of what to look out for and and to understand is that cosmetic treatment comes in many forms it could be as simple as teeth whitening it could be as simple as some composite resin adding on to broken teeth or, or uh, misaligned edges. It could be orthodontic, orthodontic treatment, which includes Invisalign or braces. It could be veneers, or it could be even um, some implants and what we call the oral implants, where you got implants in mouth with fixed breaching. Um, so what I'm trying to say is that the cosmetic range, it can be from, from the most simple item, like whitening, all the way to having implants in. And sometimes it go, sometimes it covers both function and cosmetics. I just might add on as well, if that's okay, about the freedom of expression. I think I myself um, have experienced that firsthand. So when I was young, I actually hit my front teeth and I um, I had a lot of um, sort of um, dental treatment done to my teeth, including root canals and um, the like, you know, other sort of um, treatment. However, growing up, it really affected my confidence because my teeth appeared crooked, discolored, and there were um, they, they they don't look you know the best. And therefore, every time I don't smile and I do look a little bit like a unhappy child, and uh, because that's because I don't feel like I have the freedom of of expression when i smile i always feel like i have to pull back and um i think for that reason cosmetic dentistry is really suitable for people like myself who had the self-consciousness and affects your self-esteem so those are the people that should seek out treatment but also knowing that there are a variety of options as well so for myself i've gone through invisalign i've gone through um veneers as well as well through canal so all this um will um, I guess, yeah, form a part of our cosmetic dentistry um, options. 
All right, interesting. So, okay, Dr. May, so we're coming to a very interesting question. So, a lot, as you know, Australia is a very expensive country, and I just spoke to Dr. Ruben just now. Medicare doesn't cover anything when it comes to dental. So, what are the pros and cons of um, Aussies seeking cosmetic and dental treatments abroad? And um, how do the standards and cost and risk compare to local Australian treatments? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. I can cover this and me can jump in as well. So in terms of the pros and cons for cosmetic dental treatment, um, when you go overseas, of course, the cost will be will be sometimes significantly lower than Australia for many reasons. One reason could be the wage of that particular country could be lower. Um, the regulations could be very different. The 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 um, the registration for the dentist that they're paying to to the organizations everything is also quite different so rent wage materials they are all a little bit cheaper compared to where it could be like in australia for example so that would be one um one advantage the other advantage is a lot of people would say that they can actually make a holiday out of it as well where they they, they might go overseas get the work done and and at the same time uh, get the teeth teeth done so so it's a it's it's like a little little honey on the top the the only the some of the downsides that we find, I mean, working in this, this industry in the last 15 years already, is that a lot of times when patients go overseas for for larger treatments. I mean, when you're talking about scale and clean and fillings, look, it's simple because it's just a once-off treatment and, and you're done overseas. But when you've when you've got treatments such as implants, veneers, and orthodontic treatments started overseas and you bring over to Australia, now we we've seen a lot of cases where the work done isn't where we would want as in Australia would normally do typically. Some of the examples would be um, in some overseas countries, the culture for them to actually fix up 10 teeth on the top would be to join all the teeth, all the teeth together when they actually are doing a bridge or, um, or something else. So they all are joined together, which actually causes gum disease, teeth decay, and actually stops the, um, what do you call it, the, the ability for the patient to actually brush and floss and maintain things well. Not to mention the physics of having all the teeth splintered together makes it hard to for long-term success. Mm. So imagine not being able to floss between the teeth, like what we initially talked about. But on top of that, sometimes they even root canal, elective root canal on all the teeth because they want to reduce the sensitivity of the teeth. So imagine having your teeth root canal, every single one, um, shaved down into stumps, and then put um, a crown material on each tooth, but all splints together. That's what we call a bridge. So that causes a lot of um, invasive, uh, it's a very invasive approach to, to cosmetic dentistry. Mm. So how, I mean, do you have a case study of anyone particular going somewhere? Maybe you don't have to put the country, but yes. what happened and how they, what, how they had to fix it up? Like, you know, what they okay, I mean, we, we see this on a weekly basis, basically, in, in across our sites. I mean, imagine we've got 90 clinicians working with us. Um, so we, we do see this on a weekly basis. And without naming the countries or whatever it is, a lot of times, as mentioned, is that when they when they have got a work done and they come over to see us, a lot of times people, um, the patients would get bone infection because, number one, the root canal that was done was not done uh, properly, where it's not filled up to the, to the tip of the root. Or is not cleaned up properly, so they end up having bone infection. The second one, second thing that we see in a lot of these cases as case studies is that they get decay underneath the crown, because when you've got a splintered teeth all together, again you can brush, you can floss, and because they're all joined together, when you eat and chew, the bridge rocks a little bit, right? So when they rock, they actually create 
micro gaps or bacteria to start filling into the gaps and therefore you again increase the risk of it um uh having having issues on under, in the underlying teeth uh, so that gum disease teeth decay bone infection those are actually things that we see pretty much on a weekly basis from um, from people who have worked on overseas and depending on the length of time before this is um, identified as a, a problem, often patients end up losing all the teeth. Mm. And so that, to give them new implants, and that will cause an arm and a leg, right? Correct. Yeah. So, so a lot of times, a lot of things that that we've seen overseas. So we had, I personally had a patient that came in that saw me for for some concert to do some some veneers and cosmetic work uh, but she went overseas because of cost issue when she came back she actually came back to us uh, in, in tears because now the the previous the the current dentist that did a work also did those stumps and those infection everywhere so instead of a simple veneer which is like a layer of porcelain on the front teeth which is simple and so easy to do now we actually have to end up taking all the top teeth out and putting implants in um, so it's it, this 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 happened maybe about six seven years ago, and already I always still remember till today because mm. it actually broke my heart. It's a very young lady um, who who actually cares about the teeth, but due to cost and due to maybe the knowledge lack isn't there, lack of education, knowledge isn't there about what can be done, what options she should look up for, and what she shouldn't do. Uh, she ended up with with a with a lot a lot more worse outcome because no matter what we do in dentistry, like an implant. Um, it's not going to last her, her lifetime. I mean, she's only like maybe 30 years old, right? So there's always, then the maintenance is going to be a lot more than just a simple veneer on the front. Okay, so is there any legal uh, protections or recourses uh, that is available for Australians? Yeah. They get into a jam with such treatments? Great question. So this, again, this is something that we hear all the time, like what can they do? And, and patients come and ask us, what should we do? Uh, the, 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 the downside with, again, one of the downsides of doing work overseas is that the regulations or recourse of patients is actually not there because you, you didn't the patient didn't do the work in Australia. So when you've done work overseas, um, the only way to actually get any recourse is by going to the body, the the, the, the body body or protection body of all that country and make a report there. But a lot of these countries may not have a robust uh, system to protect the consumers or the or the, or the patients. Mm -hmm. Now now in Australia, however, there's a, there's many avenues for you to actually seek recourse. Mm -hmm. Number one is to have a chat with dentists because most dentists in Australia, I would say, they are very ethical um, on most part and they they actually care for the patients. So number one is to maybe have a chat with the dentist and 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 bring up the concerns if the work is actually done in Australia. Number two is to then maybe potentially head to the ADA. Where have a have a chat with the Australian Dental Association, bring your concerns up, and they would actually help mediate between the clinician and the patient to get a favorable outcome. Now, if that fails, then of course patients can go to other bodies like to actually report on the dentist, uh, but very rarely actually goes to that level. Most of the times, most dentists and the ADA they actually help significantly in terms of trying to rectify the situation. So in Australia, there's so many ways to actually get an outcome. Or if the patient can help you with certain things. Okay, so uh, we were speaking earlier, and I told you I go overseas myself to get my um to get uh what's it called um to get my teeth clean. Uh, what's it called? I, I forgot the word. What's it called? Um, clean clean? and clean. Yeah, so I do it every year without fail because I showed you an article where um there are doctors here in Australia when they do patients. 
somehow the patients ended uh, up having HIV. So there's been uh, cases in 2015 and then 2018 where I showed you the article. So, okay, um, that has caused a fear in me and I'm sure a few people also go through that motion. So, okay, um, so if somebody wants to like really go and um, get a dentist, like someone who's come here from overseas for the first time, and they're looking at getting a dentist to go and see on a regular basis. So how do they check if the dentist is doing the work that they should do and they're using items that are clean, that are free from infection? How do they check like as a patient? Great, great question. So maybe let's go back to the article that you brought up, right? The two, the two very specific incidents in the, in the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years in Australia. So the beauty of Australia is that when things like this happen, it gets picked up straight away and gets reported immediately, right? And a lot of the nurses and staff, they are actually trained very well to actually be educated about these situations. Now, in overseas, it may not be reported, but that's because probably because there's no avenues for the report. And it may actually happen a lot more. It's just that we, are, we don't know about it. Does it make sense? So if it's not reported, no one knows. But in Australia, things are reported and are very public mm. um, in a sense. So mm. the, the public is actually actually knows about it. Um, so yeah, may you say? Yeah, depending on depends mm. on the education of the um, university that the clinician has gone to. So infection control standard is is very varied in terms of you know what level of or standard of care across um, different countries. So if you think about it, it wasn't too long ago when you know maybe uh, where people were not having the mindset of infection control, where we would actually reuse instruments or maybe put them under the water tap and, and that's that, right? You're not really killing... Um, maybe not, dentists not wearing gloves. And oh, this yeah, is 20, 20 gloves. 25 years it's ago. It's not even that, that, that uncommon, not long ago. So, yeah, like, so I think um, our awareness about infection control has um, improved over the years. And I think Australia definitely has one of the highest standards in terms of infection control and protecting of our consumers. And I think we have to understand that not across um, many countries that may not be the standard of care yet, or maybe the education isn't there yet to understand infection, the impact of, infect, uh, of poor infection control. Mm. So uh, I think it's really important to know which country we're going to, what are the regulations, what is their standard of infection control? Mm. So to answer your question directly about what should the patients actually look up for mm. when they see this, right? So mm. yes, there's a few avenues. Number one, you can, um, look at reviews okay look at look at online reviews and see whether there's any adverse adverse outcomes with a particular dentist or clinician and look at yeah the review saying that what other patients have said about the practice i think that's that's key word of mouth is also very important now when you go into the dental practice it's also very important to see the layout of the practice to see whether whether the team the clean the team of the practice actually look up maintain a place well are there is there dirt on the floor? Is there rubbish? Is there things left around lying? Now, these are clear signs of the place not being kept well. So if, if it's not done or upkeep properly, then you would know that behind the scenes, things are actually a lot worse off. So it's very important to go to an environment where you know, okay, things are looking clean and, and tidy. And often every instrument, ideally, the best standard is to actually put them through an autoclave, which heats the instrument. So first of all, actually, before you even hit autoclave, you put it in an ultrasonic machine. It sort of um, cleans it. And then you'd wipe it clean, you pack it in the packet, you put them into autoclave, and that will um, heat it up up to um, more than a thousand yeah. degrees. And after that, that, that's when you ensure that everything's super clean, right? And then you don't open up the pack up until before you see the patient. Yeah. So one thing you, we should look out for is whether, you know, they are sealed in packs. 
and looks um, uh, before you know, and, and open mm. in front of the patient. So patients should always, when you sit down by the dentist chair, to look at packs layout on the on the table and instruments, making sure that it's all sealed properly. And when you're sitting on a chair, when the dentist sees you, the packs open up in front of you. I think that's a very good sign in terms of, um, yeah, it's been cleaned and processed. So you use the same um, equipment on a lot of people, right? Um, can you just talk about the how it's, how it's clean, like yeah. for scaling and stuff like that? Good. So uh, with with all of, with all of this, what Dr. Mayer said, even in hospitals, they do the same thing. So it's not just a dental thing. Even hospitals, surgical instruments for heart and plastic surgery and brain surgery, um, the instruments are, are used reused not all but most of them because it goes through a stringent process of infection control so like what dr may said first of all the most of the equipment will go for dental goes in your ultrasonic bath for a few minutes to actually remove all debris okay then from then on you wipe the instruments um as well to make sure that it's all clean and then it goes on into what we call an, an autoclave machine where it heats up to the point where it kills all bacteria and seals in a pack now that pack is actually a special pack. It's not just like a plastic bag or a piece of paper. It's actually a medical bag that you seal instruments in so that it actually helps with the steaming process when it goes in. Okay. Oh. And then when it takes out, it's hot. When you take out, if you touch it, it actually burns you. So you need to take it out and let it cool down. So that's what that's the process for the um for the infection control part. Okay, great. Okay, let's talk about something fun, TikTok. Yes. Okay, so TikTok is really popular. A lot of people go on there and, you know, sometimes cry their heart out. And, <laughs> uh, you know, talk about a lot of things to strangers. So one of it is actually DIY, uh, DIY dental trends. This could be the fact that, you know, it's expensive to do dental, dental treatment in Australia. So they go for this. So have you found, I mean, are you both on TikTok on first, first, first and foremost? Yes, yes. Okay, do you check out these dental trends? We don't check it out, but sometimes they do appear, yes. <laughs> on okay, our so which one do you think, like one glaring dental uh, trend that you think is uh, rubbish and you need to clarify it right now? So so maybe you'll ask us on maybe reverse question, what sort of trends have you seen online on TikTok? So, okay, I haven't seen any TikTok trends, uh, no, DIY, no, because it's not in my algorithm. I, I normally go for... Yeah, the stuff like shares and everything, those comes onto my my But being doctors yourself, you know, our phones listen to us. So I'm pretty sure that you know you'll have a lot of this. So what what is there any has there been anything that's like, oh my god, this is rubbish? So that's that's one or two that, that pops up to my mind. On TikTok, for example, we've got beauticians or people who don't have a dental degree sort of putting comps putting composite on, on teeth. To make it look like um to make the teeth look whiter and more beautiful but without actually diagnosing the underlying um infection on the gums or the teeth so the way we do fillings is you need to have um, a background about the science how are we sticking the filling onto the tooth because obviously that you need to have a chemical or micro mechanical bond to the tooth so that you're not going to get gaps where things get between the tooth and the filling material but sometimes there are um uh countries or even places where um, this is not as regulated. So people like common beauticians could do fillings on teeth and the filling material that looks a lot whiter sitting on top of teeth. And that is what they call the veneer, um, you know, to actually beautify their, 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 their smile. But the problem with that is that you have no 
understanding of how to use um, the chemicals and also diagnosing if your teeth has any condition that is not suitable for the material. So there is a lot of risk with that. Yeah, so one, yeah, there's, there's one other common trend actually on TikTok that um, people are trying to cut, close their gap with um, rubber bands. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's actually extremely dangerous. So, um, you know, I think, you know, like TikTokers are seeking fame in terms of, um, you know, looking out for ooh, what people are searching out for. I mean, dentists need a dental degree for a reason. And, uh, you know, we learn about the biology of the mouth, about the teeth, about everything that need, we need to know before we do anything to your teeth and your mouth. Um, so what's happening is, that there was a trend where TikTokers were using rubber bands, literally. Let's just say you've got a gap between your front teeth, you use rubber bands and you tie them together. And you know that sort of makes sense, right? It will, because if our teeth can move, um, they start to come together. The problem with that is you're only moving the crown of the tooth. But when we do clear aligner treatment, um, such as Invisalign, or if we do um, braces, we actually move not just the crown, we move the roots as well. So think about your tooth, it has the crown part, which is your visible part um, that you can see outside your gum, but also the part that's hidden under your gum, which is the roots. The roots are normally about two thirds the length of your crown. So technically, if you're moving your front teeth, your roots are still staying in place. And how do you know that you know, what's underneath the roots, you're not actually causing problems. And also when you move teeth too fast, you can cause resorption, we call it, of the roots and the um, and, and the bone as well. And you can cause damage to the roots itself and they start to resolve, which means it's like, um, yeah, you, you start to lose the tooth. So you can cause some, um, loss of tooth for that reason as well. No, serious damage. So basically, do not listen to anything on TikTok. No. <laughs> no, most cases, no. Yes. Okay. okay, doctor, what about fear of, some adults have fear of going to dentist and getting injected. Because you know, before you do something serious, right, you have to put the needle into your mouth and get injected so that you numb the gums. So that is a big fear for a lot of people. So yeah. how do you deal with that? Good. Um, look, one of the about two thirds of Australians actually have got a fear of the dentist, right? Whether it comes from the needle, fear of the unknown, fear of um, the smell, the taste, or may, like or the cost, which is a, a big part of what we're discussing today. But when it comes to the fear of the needle specifically, um, there's actually a lot of things that we can do, right? And it depends on the level of severity of the fear that you have. So. Um, when it comes to just injecting, for example, when we actually get our dentists to join us, our 90 odd dentists, is that we actually go, get them to, go, to undergo a specific sort of training to make sure that the injection that goes into the mouth uh, on patients is actually very, very uh, painless and as minimal as possible. So the first thing we need to do is, for on our part, or as a, as a clinician, is to maybe potentially um, dry the area that, that, that needs to be injected, put some topical anesthetic first and let it sit there for a good maybe two three minutes because that actually numbs up the gums with a cream okay now only once it's been numbed up with a cream that's when we use the um, injection going very slowly and in little in a little bit so the a lot of times dentists sometimes when they when they are rushing or they are running late or or they may not even have a sense of what pain is they just go in and inject and that creates a lot of pain and discomfort so the, the very a really important way to actually do this with, with as minimal discomfort as possible is to, as when a clinician goes in and to inject, they have to inject it very slowly, okay? Because that will actually give the tissue around the area time to 
adapt to the liquid going into the gums. Okay, so uh, I would say if you look at our reviews, or not just us in 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 the sense, but when when you look at reviews, look look out for 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 things keywords like for example like injection was painless or very comfortable these are the gentle. key points gentle mm. so you want to look out for if you're looking for dentists is something that you want to look out for as well okay so if they have severe fear and you have to put them on locum so mm. how much extra do they have to pay on top of the dentist like the, what's the ballpark range for locum like they really are super scared when they need to do the surgery come when you say locum you meaning general anesthesia yeah yeah when they are like you know uh, yeah. Okay, so that before we go into general anesthetic, there's actually a few other ways as well before you even get to that level, because you can actually maybe take um, a relaxation tablet, for example, um, and and once you actually take the tablet, it actually calms you down and eases you and reduces your anxiety. Most of the time, you want to start with that first, okay, and see how the patient goes. Now, if some patients have really tried that and they feel like, man, this is actually still too uncomfortable or too scary, then yes, then we go under general anesthesia now. The cost of general anesthesia depends on the time that's needed to be done, right? So it could be half an hour, could be one hour, could be up to four hours to do what to do in, in, in a dental surgery. So the, the, the cost would range between, um, I would say, $6,900 per hour charged by the anesthetist, okay? Not, not a dentist, but the anesthetist that comes in. Now, there's a Medicare rebate in most cases as well when it comes to this. And the Medicare rebate would range between 30% all the way up to maybe 70 to 80% that you get a rebate back from Medicare, uh, depending on your safety net, depending on your level of cover from insurance potentially, depending on uh, what sort of um, what you're doing. So there's a lot of factors that that's involved. While the fee of 600 is actually sounds a lot but you actually get a lot of rebate back mm -hmm. when it's actually done mm -hmm. an accredited site and again i think at the end of the day we'll it probably comprise of one it should comprise of one percent of patients because majority of patients can be dealt with without going through Correct. that as long as your dentist is gentle your dentist does um pain-free or virtually pain-free um injection techniques because often that's the main um reason people want to avoid yeah. the dentist Okay, so I want to go back to, I was talking about aligners just now, right? When people put braces, after they've taken out the braces, they put the aligners when they sleep. They have to do this till forever, right? So sometimes the brands that they use, they discontinue suddenly for some strange reasons. So what, how does the patient, right, then find a new brand? And you know what, what, do they go back to a doctor for consultation? Or can they just go to the pharmacist and shop, whatever? Yeah. Um, so... When it comes to brands, uh, brands of cleanliness, I mean, we, we know one or two brands that have disappeared, right? Where where they were providing a treatment off the shelf and suddenly they've, they've disappeared. So when, when it comes to those sort of situations, the first of all, that concept of actually from a direct consumer is something that we actually don't agree with from to begin with, because when it's dealt in that fashion, the if there's no clinician involved in the process to begin with, no one actually knows what the condition of the gums are. No one knows whether there's any decay or disease on the teeth. And no one actually knows what it takes to actually move the teeth in a safe and predictable manner. So we, we've been seeing a lot of these patients where in, in the last maybe one or two weeks, because there's a brand that actually disappeared and now they've actually come and see us. Now, the main outcome that needs to be done in this, in this situation for these patients is to look out for clinicians that have got the understanding to on how to move teeth irregardless of brands okay it's the understanding of how to move the teeth in a safe predictable manner so for those patients who actually started treatment with with those companies that have disappeared my suggestion to them is to 
look around for clinicians who have done um, clear aligners. We use Invisalign quite, quite a fair bit because we find that that is actually quite a, a very reliable, reliable a reputable brand for pretty much the very first one um, that is reputable mm. and still ongoing to today and still keep up yeah. with the innovation. But what I'd like to try to say and impress upon patients is actually not about the brand because the brand is just, is they just make the aligners. What's very important for patients to understand is actually the clinician is the one that's actually driving the treatment outcome. It's like a car, right? You can buy, you any can buy brand. any brand of cars, but it, but how you drive, how you drive on the road, and how safe you are, how dangerous you are, depends on not the car, but the driver itself. So think of the aligner brand as a brand of a car. But what drives the treatment for the patient is actually the clinician. So you've got to make sure that the clinician that you're seeing has got enough experience and understanding and a knowledge to actually move it, and especially to take over cases that has stopped midway, because mm -hmm. not something from 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 scratch from foundation up. It's easy. It's like building a home from from zero to to a home that you want, and you've got a foundation laid down. It's easier than trying to actually renovate a heritage home, for example, because you need to keep some, some facade on, you need to keep this pillar here. You need to work around to make your dream home. So very similar to Kilanana's, when you stop midway, it's actually quite difficult to actually want to carry on someone's previous work and make it a good outcome. Because if the previous work isn't done to where we believe it's meant to be, then maybe you need to start from scratch again. Mm -hmm. But carry on, sometimes, yes, we can. We need to get a really good understanding of, the, the clinician needs to good, have a good understanding of how to actually carry on from there as well. So that's the advice I would give the, the, give the consumers out there. Okay, great advice. Okay, last question. So you guys are very good businessmen, or same time also doctors yourself. So I just I wanted to ask you: Are you having uh, anything like? Do you have thoughts to have your own toothpaste, your own toothbrush, your own line of dental stuff, maybe down the line? Because I know you have clinics and you're managing a lot of people under you. But what about like uh, your own bespoke brand? You know, are you working on that? Yeah. Good, great question. Great question. I think you know while we are, you know, we focus on our business, which is our core business, which is changing people's smiles and lives. That's what we're passionate about. So you know while you know, it may look like we're businessmen or women, um, that's not what we are here to do. We're not here to just make um, you know like um, business great out of everything. We have to believe in what we do. And in terms of oral care products, it's not where our passion lies and it's not where our expertise lies as well. We are dental um, dentists at heart and, uh, you know, we believe in really helping patients and finding the most gentle, um, you know, and predictable way to an affordable way as well for patients to to achieve their treatment outcomes. Mm. So therefore, it is probably not in our radar for now. Um, and I would say for now, right? For now. <laughs> so, so for now is a good, good, good way to put it because we believe that there's a lot of work that still can be done from with our clinicians and with our patients. We've got a team of, including clinicians, of about 300 people at the moment, right? So that's that's something that we want to work with, grow them, empower them, and that's going to be our sole focus for the foreseeable uh, few years. But good question because we've been actually asked to have brands um, for toothpaste and products because we know how to actually create a really good outcome for a good toothpaste. What needs to be in there? What needs to happen for with a good toothbrush? What needs to happen when you want to floss? I mean, this we could trial and error so many products out there, right? So it's only it's only um, only natural for us to know what would work and what doesn't work. 
Um, so we've been approached multiple times in terms of, hey, is this something you want to do? Um, the answer to that, yes, is not not yet, but maybe in the future. Okay, doctor. So since I have you here both, so maybe uh, you can start with Dr. May and then followed by Dr. Ruben. Can you give us like one really good advice for any patients out there? Maybe you can pick on any topic. You can either pick on aligners or people... You know, Christmas is coming, a lot of people are going overseas. Maybe they might want to do uh, overseas treatment. So any kind of like, uh, you know, um, valuable uh, advice you can tell, you can get to share? Um, I think, oh, this is um, just one advice. <laughs> Let me think. Uh, any advice you get, you can give a couple if you want to. But, you know, what, what do you think? Is, a lot of people tend to over uh, overlook when it comes to dental treatment. Maybe I'll start first yes, while, yes. May, while May's thinking. Yes. <laughs> um, so if, if someone wants to go overseas and they're traveling around for holidays, um, any time of the year, not just Christmas, or you're going for a prolonged trip of two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, if they actually know that they've got some niggling sensation on the teeth, or the previous dentist from a few weeks ago, a few months ago, or maybe a few years ago told them that they've got a crack on a tooth, or filling that's leaking and, and causing potential, potential issues, get that checked and looked out for because i've I, I had a few patients years ago as well where we told a patient you know what you've got actually a little hairline crack on the tooth and look let's monitor this and and check it out and that was maybe about a month before she went traveling and not so no a year before when traveling so there was something we told her but then she of course she, life got busy she forgot about what, what's happening and, and she went on went on a holiday and during that holiday the tooth actually split in half so uh, so she had to look for, she called me up and she said, what should she do? And she actually went to, had to look for a dentist and I had to sort of explain to them, this, okay, this is what we found a year ago and this is what uh, the diagnosis is and the dentist just needed to sort of do a bit of a patch up work so that when she comes back to Australia, then we can actually fix her up and, and do, a, do a more of a long-term job. So if you've got any discomfort, any sensitivity, any little potential issues that your dentist have actually brought up from a year ago or six months ago, and you're going away for two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, or for a long period, just get it checked. It's so much safer because you don't want to be in pain or discomfort when you're traveling overseas. Because you're traveling overseas, guess what you want to do? You want to have fun, you want to eat, you want to go holidays, spend on the family, not spending time in a dental chair with an unknown environment, with an unknown dentist as well. So that, that would be my advice for anyone traveling especially during the festive seasons. Mm. Alrighty, so what about you, Dr. May? Anybody? <laughs> well, I guess the main thing is really, I think everyone overlooks how important it is to visit a dentist regularly, to actually come and see a dentist at least twice a year every six months and for that reason you know like we keep talking about how cost of dentistry is expensive with prevention is better than cure so if we are seeing a dentist regularly but um you know it, it should prevent a lot of problems however if you are seeing a dentist regularly and you're still finding that you know you, there are a lot of problems then we may need to also look into how thorough uh, is the dentist that's doing your your checkup I mean, are they just doing a clean just just a clean but not actually checking your teeth properly are they taking x-rays of your teeth how long do they spend on your clean is it a superficial clean or is it a proper clean right a checkup and clean appointment should be at like um in on average one hour 
So if you are finding that some dentists out there that are doing it for 15 minutes, 20 minutes per appointment, you may be getting a rush treatment and it may not, you know, you may not, you may not get the value of your, um, what you're paying, even though it may seem cheaper, but in the long run, it may not be cheaper if you're not diagnosing and educating you about what's what's happening with your mouth. Mm. The other thing that you know we always do, and all our dentists and clinicians do as well, is we take photos of your teeth regularly. So mm. with photos of your teeth regularly, we can actually see over time your progress of like you know, look, you have a chip here. Is the chip getting worse, or is it not? Or or, or you know, does it maintain over time? If it maintains over time, we we'll keep an eye on it. We may not need to do anything. And we start to see it getting worse, you know, before we prevent it from chipping, from cracking, splitting into half, like the story that we just talk about. We can actually try and prevent that. So look, accidents still happen. It's from time to time, you know, things may not, we may not be able to preempt everything, but at least see if your dentist could be thorough, spending the time checking in, checking on your teeth and also educating you about your oral health. Okay, uh, coming to that, right, in Malaysia, like where I go for my dental treatment every year without fail, they send you WhatsApp messages after they've treated you. Do you do the same here in Australia? Yeah, so we send um, patients um, messages after in a, in a text message. But what sort of message do you get? Just, so um, they will message me and ask me, how was your treatment? How is your teeth? So I will answer, you know, okay, this is good. But it's only happening recently But because I've never done my, my tooth in Australia before. So that's why I wondered if you have these uh, aftercare checkups. Mm, yes, it's very important to us. So every patient, after every appointment that comes to us, definitely receives a, um, a uh, SMS, uh, a text message to ask about how the appointment went. And if there's any concerns, obviously, we can bring it up. So it's more like we also call a... A TLC message the next day as well in case they're raising any concerns about you know like a little bit of pain that a procedure let's just say they had a feeling in the you know there's a bit of sharpness a bit of pain then that that way we our team checks it out and can actually give the patient a call but I must say this is more a customer service aspect mm -hmm. not so much a technical aspect so they are two separate things mm. Mm. okay so so I just also want to interject, interject that um, when it comes to overseas dentistry, there are good dentists overseas, right? So I'm not saying that all overseas dentists and all, all of them are, are bad and you should avoid them. There are always good dentists in every country. So I just want to make that clear. It's just that when it comes as a whole, um, any issues pertaining any treatment done overseas, a lot of times when it comes back to Australia, um, there's no recourse as much. And at the same time, a lot of times that Australian dentists may not actually want to actually start or repair the work that's done overseas as well. Because again, starting from from to take over someone's work to, to repair and fix is actually a lot harder. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I uh yeah, so no worries. Uh this has been a great uh chat. So we have just been had uh, just had an insightful conversation with Dr. Ruben Sim and Dr. May Chan from Dental Boutique. So a big thank you to both doctors for your time today. Um, thank you so much. And this is dailystraits.com. Be sure to check us out on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thank you. Okay. Thank you thank so much you. for having us. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you.